less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, you've been on the road. You're a road warrior these days, right? Yep. In the last seven weeks, I've been to New Mexico, Nebraska, Atlanta, Orlando, and tomorrow I go to Boise. Just all over the place, man. When did you become such a vagabond? It just happened. Most of it's been for work, but it's kind of fun. You know, it's four-day weekends is what it is, but it jams your schedule in between a Monday and a Friday and a Thursday, and then don't have any time, you know, no weekend time to tie up loose ends and get caught up. So this is my last trip till Christmas. So Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah, yeah. it's hard operating. Some people do it regularly, but operating at that clip where you're just constantly gone, I don't know how you have time yeah. to just get focused and relaxed and <laughs> in a steady state of mind. R- relaxed? Not, you know what I mean. Not focused? Rela- yeah, focused. <laughs> Just uh, grounded, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I know people that they love doing that on planes. Like planes is where they can just like zone in. And I can zone in on a movie on a plane, but that's about it. I zone in on sleep. Oh, you, you, you're a sleeper on planes? Yeah, try to be. Well, you know, I, I know the only way that you're able to afford all these travels is because of your employee retention tax credits. Uh, so it's a, it's a good thing that we have Dan on the show today. Yeah. And I'm running up some big credit cards cause I haven't received them yet. So <laughs> I'm just, hopefully kidding. they come through. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Dan, how are you, man? Hey, thank you very much for having us here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're excited to have you on. Uh, and I know that we're going to be talking about the ERTC employee retention tax credits. I'm assuming we'll just say ERTC quite a bit today. So listeners, that's what we mean. Um, yeah, Martin, how did you get connected with, uh, it's tax credit authority. Is that right, Dan? Yeah. Tax credit authority is the name of our firm. Nice. Martin, how'd you get connected with them? I had a, a CPA, uh, well, actually I had a client who had, uh, I don't know if he's been funded yet. I've got to ask him, but was approved for a substantial amount of money. Yeah. And was telling me about it. And, uh, turns out a a, client, a CPA that I had referred to this client had uh, got him hooked up with Dan. And uh, I said, called up and said, well, what? <laughs> and, you know, down here, uh, you hear about it a lot. It's on the radio. The CPA firms are, uh, there are firms that are advertising it. And when I called my clients to, uh, of whom I have a lot, probably called 20, 25 people, about looking into it, they, they'd been hanging up on people, right? Uh, have a, Sean in uh, Minneapolis, he said, I've been getting those calls all the time. I just hang up on them. <laughs> is that a real thing? And I said, well, I think it is. <clears throat> I haven't received money yet. Uh, so people are hearing about it, and our listeners are hearing about it. And one of the common things Dan will talk, maybe address this a little bit, is when I talked to him and said, look into it, they said, well, I already have, and I don't qualify. And things have changed. And so that's why it's worth at least looking into. Um, yeah. But maybe we'll let, I mean, kind of start off with what the heck is it, employee retention tax credit, and what's the, why does it exist? What's the philosophy? Dan, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Sure, absolutely. So the employee retention tax credit is a part of the CARES Act. 
the uh, purpose behind it is to provide economic stimulus to the economy. And the vehicle for doing that is providing a tax refund to employers. So this is in uh, conjunction with the PPP, but separate from the PPP under the CARES Act umbrella. And it's uh, economic relief for employers that maintain W-2 employees during the course of the pandemic. And currently the pandemic timeframe is defined as March 13th of 2020, all the way through September 30th of 2021. So that touches all four quarters of 2020. And then the first three quarters of 2021 is the considered timeframe at this point. Though Congress is considering adding quarter four of 2021, that's up for debate and for passing, but has not passed at this time. Wow, interesting. Well, I know that we're going to be talking a lot about finances, and obviously none of this is financial advice for any listener out there, but we are just trying to get you aware and increase the awareness of what's going on. What? Tell us a little bit about your company and how, how long you've been with the firm Tax Credit Authority, how it started, what you guys focus on. So uh, Tax Credit Authority is comprised of CPAs, tax credit professionals, uh, people like myself, administrative workers and salespeople that help facilitate uh, clients with uh, uh, accessing the ERTC. The firm itself was established in 2020 to maintain a specific focus on the ERTC, though okay. the experience that our tax uh, firm brings is 30 plus years of experience delivering federal and state level tax credits. So, the uh, expertise has a wide range of uh, experience, though the firm itself has only been established for a few years to handle this specific credit, as this credit was only launched in 2020. Right. So you guys are really specialized on the ERTC. What are some of the companies that qualify for this? Is it just big corporations or is it the smaller companies only? What are you seeing? So there's different sets of rules for different size companies. The main cutoff is at the 100 person and 500 person level. If you're under 100 total employees considered for an aggregate of uh, your 2020 and 2019 employee count comparative to the same quarters in 2019, then you would be considered either under 100 employees or over 100 employees, which is the definition for small or large for the first year of the 2020 tax year. For the ERTC, though, mm -hmm. then in 2021, that rule set is increased to include employers that are considered small employers at the under high 500 person headcount level. So any employer at all that is from one W-2 employee all the way to uh, 99 W-2 employees would be considered a small employer for 2020. And then all the way from one to uh, 499 would be considered a small employer for 2021. Large employers for the em employers that exceed those thresholds, they are still able to claim ERTC, though the way the ERTC is determined and the wages that the ERTC is based off of is no longer the same uh, rule set as applied to the companies that are under that size. You know, on the qualifying for it, I know specifically because I've been asked so much, originally uh, it was a revenue decline, right? Right. And that's uh, speaking a little bit to what you were mentioning before about why so many companies had received advice that they weren't eligible at this time or weren't eligible at the time they sought that advice. So the original rule set uh, prescribed that you had to have a specific decline in gross receipts. You had to have either 50% decline in 2020 or 20% decline in 2021 compared to the same quarters in 2019. And if you did not experience that very specific decline in gross receipts, then gross receipt revenue, then you would not become eligible for this particular credit. There were a bunch of other disqualifying factors too, 
Uh, originally, the rule set said that you had, if you received a PPP, you were not eligible for the ERTC, though that was uh, that particular rule was walked back. Additionally, if you received certain federal credits like EIDL, et cetera, you were not eligible to claim the credit, though that's no longer the case. Uh, the reason for that is because they, when they established that rule set in 2020, the, the reason it's called the employee retention tax credit was because it was a credit you could claim live in 2020 or 2021 uh, uh, for your taxes for those particular years. Though many businesses did not access this credit or did not meet the very specific uh, threshold. So a business that had experienced a 45% decrease in gross receipts for whatever reason was not eligible. They didn't design it with a graduating scale. There was no, uh, there was no thresholds uh, along the way. It was either a black and white, you met the threshold or you did not meet the threshold and therefore you were eligible. Though uh, when the administrations changed over, the SBA, the IRS, they reestablished the rules to include more businesses. Not enough businesses had access to the credit or from their perception, not enough businesses had accessed the credit, so they increased the eligibility criteria to include other factors uh, for businesses to become eligible through. So if you were eligible through gross receipts, great. That was one way, or that is one way to become eligible at this point in time, but now it's not the only way. So the main way that businesses uh, that are not gross receipts eligible become eligible for this credit at this time is through demonstration of impact because of the pandemic, and that's established uh, through demonstrating impact via governmental order compliance and or impact because of governmental orders. Specifically, it's defined as a partial suspension of business operations, and that partial suspension of business operations has a very uh, large definition group for what different impacts could be considered as ways to impact the, uh, the business. The, they, the, the SBA, the IRS, looked at it on a more holistic level and said, well, there's a whole bunch of diverse ways businesses could be impacted and gross receipts doesn't exactly tell the whole story on a business. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many ways that businesses are impacted, not just, you know, supply chain is an issue, uh, not being able to sell because of supply chain. I mean, you still had sales from before and you're able to complete those jobs, but then six months later you were out of, you know, materials and you can perform the job. What are some of the ways that you see, you know, when you're demonstrating impact for filing for the ERTC, what are the some of the ways that you're demonstrating that? Uh, so, so uh, some of the main ways. Uh, one of the ones you touched on just now was supply chain issue that affects almost every industry under the sun, but it particularly affects uh, construction, manufacturing industries, and uh, yeah. that would be entailing any types of delays or uh, from uh, being able to access materials that were significant to the business operation. So that could be lumber, hardware, any type of things that were regularly accessible in the time frame prior to the pandemic that were no longer accessible regularly or at the same uh, price levels or the same uh, delivery time frame as before. And this had a major impact on all sorts of contracts that were already in place, especially on the, uh, on the public level where contracts had to get delayed, price escalations weren't uh, factored in, uh, especially when you consider in the global economy and how uh, bad supply chains uh, looked and still look at this point in time. So uh, yeah, supply chains is definitely uh, a one particular factor. An interesting part about supply chain issues since we're on this topic is that uh, the way the credit works is it's, it's uh, based off of wages that are already paid. That's the determining factor on, uh, on the size of the credit. So the IRS isn't interested in finding out exactly what each particular material escalation cost was or what the delay in timeframe was for that particular mm -hmm. item. They're just wondering if 
the business experienced a significant and prolonged supply chain disruption in that particular factor. Um, some of the additional ways in which businesses could become eligible is just overall compliance with uh, federal and uh, state level orders. So that means anything that comes out of uh, CDC, anything that comes out of OSHA, anything that comes out of the executive department for the state or for the public health department for the state, those are the two typical uh, agencies that provide governmental orders impacting businesses. So that means, was there an order that inf uh, that requested or required uh, certain levels of social distancing that the business complied with? Did uh, any governmental orders prescribe businesses to operate at certain uh, capacity thresholds or down from certain capacity thresholds? That's very common in the uh, restaurant industry and said uh, businesses had to go from 100% capacity down to 50% capacity that would be considered a business impact. Additional business impacts are uh, uh, businesses that experienced employees that were out with COVID. So if you had a uh, employee that was out with COVID for any duration of time, or even if that employee had to care for a family member that was out with COVID and then had to demonstrate either a lack of symptoms or had to present a negative test to return to work, that would be considered a business impact that was uh, impacted because of governmental orders in place. In, in that particular instance, uh, there's almost always state and federal orders that uh, had certain uh, recommendations or requirements for the presence and reporting of COVID and how you could uh, participate with the workforce. So uh, yeah, those are some of the factors. We also uh, had to, uh, we have uh, uh, to take a look and see if the business was impacted by uh, limited uh, marketing opportunities, which means that if you had limitations on interstate travel or international travel, then a lot of states had uh, certain quarantine periods or had exclusions on uh, the symptoms that you had to have relative to entry into that particular state for certain periods of time or and, and certain uh, countries didn't allow travel whatsoever. So if that limited your uh, business or limited your marketing opportunities, a lot of uh, industry conferences, uh, trade shows, those were canceled or moved online entirely and that would be considered a type of impact that the business experienced yeah i think everybody had at least one employee if not dozens that said hey i was around somebody that was uh you know tested positive for covid i don't want to come into the office or i can't work today i need to go get tested i mean that happened so many times within my own business uh i felt like at least a couple times a month that was happening and so I, I feel like anybody almost can demonstrate impact in, in one way or another. Yeah, very common businesses have uh, multiple different uh, impacts, a wide variety of impacts that face the business during the time frame of the pandemic. And that particular aspect is a, is a one that is a, a, a very strong uh, case to be made for a business impact. So you had an employee that was out and the government said, the employee needs to be out for this particular amount of time or demonstrate these particular symptoms. So that would be considered a way in which the business was impacted by the pandemic as related to government orders. Well, we'll talk here in just a minute about dollar amounts because uh, I know people are interested in that. But one thing that's occurred to me and people have asked me is, let, let's just throw a number out there and say, you're eligible for 250000 um, anyway, we'll talk about how you get there. Do, you, do At some level, do you need to show that, add up the hours that were lost and put dollars on it? And do you have to justify 250000 specifically by days shut down? 
I mean, do you, do you have to tie it to no. the money or just say I was impacted, then do the math over here and this is what I get? But they don't. I don't have to show that exact. Um, I don't have to tie it and add up all the missed hours and the closed days. That's correct. You don't have to. Uh, there isn't a direct relationship between the specific impact and the cost that, that impact caused on the business to the size or the eligibility of the credit. It's it's only factored in. And it's a self-reported aspect. The government doesn't ask for this particular uh, documentation in a specific way. They're asking if the business is reporting this overall and if this occurred uh, in the specific time frame of the pandemic. So they're looking for information on whether or not these specific factors occurred and if that in and of itself is a demonstration of business impact. We're talking about linking dollars of damages to the dollars of the ERTC. Uh, the business isn't trying to establish a specific dollar amount of impact and then tying the credit to that dollar impact. It's just whether okay. or not the employer is eligible and then eligibility is derived by these particular factors. Now, one thing, I think we'll talk about your process here because I've been through it, but it's also a really good idea in advance to know what uh, edicts that came down from on high affected you. And if you did close that, you write where that you have the hours that you close. And if you do have impact so that you've got, you didn't just say, oh yeah, I remember we were closed and sent it off. You, you have a process for gathering that information and compiling it in case anybody ever wants to look at it in the future. Of course. So everything that we do is with the uh, concept in mind that this could be subject to audit, uh, and therefore we would want to have that documentation in place in advance uh, so that everything was uh, good to go relative to dotting the I's, crossing the T's. So what we do is we have a archive of every single governmental order that came out through every single state uh, agency, relevant agency. So typically the executive department and public department, of, uh, the state department of public health. So that means we have itemized orders for every single state, for every single time frame in the pandemic, and then have it subjected. I mean, we have it uh, broken out by industry. The main, uh, the main breakdowns are general and then uh, healthcare and education. So uh, most businesses fit into those uh, particular buckets. Some uh, uh, food service and uh, otherwise restaurants can uh, sometimes have additional uh, governmental orders that the other businesses or other types of businesses didn't have orders related to. You know, kids, education, I heard you mention education and kids had to work, uh, do school from home and parents are working from home. Is that an impact if your employee had to now do childcare? Um, is that one of the things that you're able to demonstrate or no? So, uh, if uh, the business experienced a, uh, what's the uh, quantifiable metric there? Well, basically employees had like, I, for example, I had two employees that had to leave, you know, work uh, because their kids were out of school online at three and their kids were just running around. Normally they'd be at an after school program, but now they couldn't be and my employees had to leave early, you know? That is a potential, uh, workforce participation issue. So that could be characterized as a reduction in workforce participation. And that was a common occurrence in a lot of industries where regardless of efforts to attain uh, more labor or to acquire more labor, to have more labor, it wasn't available or there wasn't the same level of interest in workforce participation. So that would be a, uh, something to note there. The particulars on is it quantifiable as a specific metric and was there a governmental order impacting it? 
not as likely to have uh, that be one of the specific factors. Interesting. It's just harder to quantify that specific thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's get into the calculation of how much you can be receiving. Uh, I think people want to know numbers, and I know that you have some generalist, probably numbers of way or ways of calculating it in a general, uh, you know, ballpark number. Uh, but then there's also a very specific. So, what are, why don't you give us the the lowdown on that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the the theoretical maximum or the total maximum that you can claim per employee is twenty six thousand dollars per employee, and that's across both years. So. The way the math works out exactly is that there's uh, $5,000 of ERTC, ERTC that you can claim in 2020 for each employee and $21,000 of ERTC that you can claim in 2021. So total of $26,000, 5K in 2020, 21K in 2021. And uh, the way that an employee would be able to, or you'd, an employer would be able to claim that for each employee is if the employee was paid over $10,000 of qualified wages in 2020, and over $30,000 of qualified wages in the first three quarters of 2021. So if they were paid over those thresholds, then you could claim up to $26,000 per employee. A more realistic number might be around $15,000 of claimed uh, credit for each employee as a, as a ballpark across industries. Uh, industries with employees that are higher paid, it's all based on uh, what the wages were for that particular employee and if that employee's wages are qualified. So uh, the way it works in 2020 is it's a total bucket of $10,000 over all the four quarters. And if there's $10,000 of qualified wages, then you can claim $5,000 of credit in 2020. In 2021, everything is based on a per quarter basis. So if you had, uh, it's everything's done on a maximum of $10,000. So you can only be qualified for up to $10,000 per quarter of qualified wages in 2021. And of that $10,000, 70% is eligible for claims. So you can claim up to $7,000 per quarter per employee in 2021. Gotcha. Okay. And where does uh, PPP fit into this? I know it's a it's a factor. If somebody out there's got a napkin and they're counting their employees and multiplying times 26,000, that may not be. Can you can you talk about? Oh right, yeah. It wouldn't necessarily be a. a a fair way to do an estimate to just take your employee count and multiply it by 26,000 unless you didn't receive a PPP and your employees are highly paid or highly paid considerate to, uh, uh, to where they level off the $10,000 limit. So uh, the way the PPP comes into play is uh, originally if you had a PPP one or two, you weren't even eligible to claim the credit at all, but they removed that rule so now that because the PPP only covers at maximum 48 weeks. So it's a, uh, if you received a PPP one, that would cover 24 weeks, and then a two would be 24 more weeks. And uh, that doesn't cover the entirety of the time frame of the pandemic at present. So they uh, removed that rule set, and no longer is that a disqualifying factor. The way that it comes into play with uh, estimating a credit is that uh, it's, uh, it's about a blanket deduction. So if you had a, 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 a good rule of thumb might be that if you had a $200,000 potential ERTC and you received $100,000 of PPP, now your potential ERTC is $100,000. It's not exactly that straight deduction. And the reason is that there's a lot of uh, uh, factors that can uh, offset that. There's the excess wages and there's the owner's wages. So if uh, 
the way it works with the ERTC is that owner's wages and relatives of the owner are not eligible to have their wages considered for the ERTC. So if you're an owner and you're, pay, you're also an employee and you're paid as a W-2 employee, those particular wages for you are not counted and also for your relatives. And that goes out pretty far to even include nephew and uh, daughter-in-law, et cetera. So it goes a pretty far range of families considered rel uh, that's related to the owner. Those wages don't count. However, those wages can be used to uh, demonstrate allocation from the PPP. So if the owner, uh, if the owner, uh, if the owner received fifty thousand dollars in wages, and we're still going back to that hundred thousand dollar PPP, we can say that uh, a certain percentage of the uh, wages that the owner received was covered from the PPP, and then therefore the deduction of the PPP from the ERTC would be a little bit lower. Right. And there's a certain maximums and roles that have to be applied. Uh, the most that you can deduct from that PPP uh, is two and a half months of wages uh, from your 2019 wages. And the way they did that is to basically make sure that employers weren't all of a sudden giving themselves a large pay raise and then uh, having the PPP be the uh, mechanism for giving that pay raise. Right. Well, obviously, there's a lot of math going on here and a lot of different calculations. And for any business owner, it's not... It's not easy to think about those things. Obviously, you do want to receive the money if it's available and free, um, and it's maybe not necessarily free in a way you are going to be taxed on. Is that right? Uh, it's a, I, I like Marvin uh, mentioned to begin with, I'm not a CPA, though our team is comprised of CPAs, so the advice that I'm providing isn't financial advice. But the way that the credit is set up is that it in of itself, it's not a taxable object. However, the wages that the ERTC covers are no longer going to be deductible on your 2020 and 2021 uh, uh, taxes. So if you had a, uh, a million dollars of uh, uh, in uh, 2020 and then you received a credit, uh, uh, you had a million dollars in, uh, in wages in 2020 and then you received a credit of, let's say, $200,000, well, if you deducted all million previously, now you have to. Now you're only able to deduct that eight hundred thousand. Gotcha. Yeah, I have. I'm. I'm not an accountant either, uh, and we're just talking and telling everybody to get with their accountant. But in my case, uh, I will have to file amended tax returns. Uh, I will. Well, not likely. I will owe taxes that I will have to pay on it at that rate. And it. And in my case. Uh, it, it's worth it's worth looking and not trying to do the math based on what you've heard here. You call tax credit authority and have them do the math. But in my case, I got I was eligible for a lot more money than I thought, um, even after PPP. But after paying uh, Dan's firm, you have a fee for doing this on based on successful recovery when recovered, and the taxes I'll pay. I'm going to get about half of the big number that I saw which is still a big number. So um, it, it's, if, if you're eligible for a half million dollars when, everything, when all the dust settles, there are so many different circumstances and what you paid two years ago amending may not have any taxable effect, uh, may reduce a loss. But it, it's still, it's absolutely worth looking into. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're doing it and it's not as great as it looked, but it's still pretty great. Still pretty great. Uh, so you, you can be taxed on it, and the the process, if we're going to work with tax credit authority, you guys handle it all. 
What does that process look like? And then what do you charge? Uh, the way that our process works, and we almost handle it all, there is one little caveat to that. Um, so uh, the uh, way that our process works is we do the eligibility analysis and we do the calculation. So we do the full determination on your eligibility with audit documentation, uh, demonstrating the exact government orders that impacted your business. And then uh, with the assessment on eligibility that comes from that, along with calculation of the credit applying the different rule sets for 2020 and 2021 so that uh, we can have itemized worksheets that detail the exact amendments that need to get made on the 941Xs. The 941Xs are how you monetize the credit. So uh, you amend your 941 federal tax return, turning it into a 941X, and then you submit the 941Xs per quarter of eligibility to the IRS, and the IRS then confirms and issues refunds on those overpayments. You demonstrated overpayment of taxes from the 2020 and 2021 year, and then the IRS confirms that overpayment and issues a refund or the Treasury Department issues a refund based on the uh, uh, the specific uh, claim in that quarter. And then the part that, uh, the so I was mentioning the one thing that we didn't do in-house and the, so it's just part of the process and I would consider it as part of the process. So I don't wanna, some, uh, some firms are able to do this in-house and uh, we don't particularly do it in-house. Uh, we, uh, we like to work with our clients, uh, pre-existing CPA or uh, the uh, uh, pinhouse accounting they might have, et cetera. Uh, and that's uh, for the amendments themselves. We uh, are able to itemize the exact uh, changes that need to get made. The reason that we don't get uh, uh, to do that particular aspect in-house, even though we have the capability to do so, is because we charge on a contingency basis. So if, uh, if uh, some firms work in different ways, because we charge on a contingency basis, we don't do the 941Xs. Firms that uh, that don't do that are, are potentially able to do that in-house. So uh, the uh, and then what do we charge was the one of the questions. And uh, we have a scale. It depends on if the business is a nonprofit or a for-profit, and depends on the size of the business. But uh, for businesses that are under 100 employees in size, that are for-profit businesses, our rate is 15% of the credit. And one of the uh, ways that we try and differentiate our firm is that uh, we only ask for our fee after the client receives their full refund from the IRS. A lot of other firms are set up where uh, there's a percentage of the fee is due up front or the whole fee is due up front. The way that we work is our fee is only requested after a client receives their refund from the IRS. And then like you were mentioning with the potential uh, tax liability, that also would not occur until after the refund is realized by the company and uh, the uh, and while it itself is not taxable, the deduction on the wages would then therefore become taxed, uh, become an object needs to become uh, taxed and therefore would increase the burden for 2020 or 2021 if you receive refund in those years. Right. And it's your idea, or did you just say that mm -hmm. the tax liability for emitted prior year returns would not be due until you'd received the funds from the IRS? Right. And uh, uh, the way that I understand it, uh, the information that I have is that those also wouldn't have incurred a penalty or interest amount uh, as a result either. Okay. Because that is a big issue. Uh, if you're getting a substantial amount and you amend your tax return and you have to pay a tax, uh, it'd be nice to have already received the refund before you had to pay it. Right. Yeah, that's that's a question I get, and I, I don't answer it because uh, – that's beyond. Now, do, would you happen to have, I'm ambushing you with this question, an example firm like 
XYZ company had 20 employees and they were effect that you could maybe run by and uh, just kind of so a, a real world example. Okay, so I'm uh, looking at the information right now for a construction firm that's based out of Texas. Um, the total employee count for this company was in 2020. This company was 94 employees, and the okay. uh, and that's uh, we can just say that that was about the average for both years. And the uh, so this was a construction company out of Texas, and uh, their ERTC was one point. Uh, two million, so one million two hundred and sixty-three thousand dollars was the uh, ERTC that this company received because of the uh, uh, wages that were eligible and the total size of the company. So the uh, the total wages uh, earned by the company in that time frame exceeded uh, two point eight, but the qualified amount and the ERTC associated was one point two million. Did they have a uh, PPP loan? Can you see that? Oh, absolutely. So this company had received a PPP loan that was $372,000. Okay, so that $1.2 million was net. Just a PPP one, not a two. Right. But that was, so the amount that they received with net had already taken that off. Like they're not going to subtract the PPP amount from that $1.2 million that's already been subtracted. No, that's, yes, correct. So the $1.2 was with the PPP deduction already having taken place. You know, I, I hate to do this to you. We can we can stall it on here, but would you have any could you look somebody up who had twenty five employees? Sure, absolutely. I think a lot of our listeners are more in that range. Or both both these examples would be great. Yeah. Okay, so I'm now looking at a uh company that specializes in overhauling uh uh vans for uh uh recreational use. Uh the uh the company has uh, has 18 uh, employees in 2020 and had uh, 24 employees in 2021. This uh, company had a PPP of, I'm not going to say the exact amount because that is potentially identifying, but it's uh, $60,000 uh, uh, in 2020 and the business did not receive a PPP in 2021. And the total ERTC that the business was able to claim is four hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars at six hundred. Yeah. So sometimes it's startling. I mean, yeah, the the PPP difference from the ERTC amount if they just received the PPB one is massive. Um, I mean, in that case, it's almost ten x. In the other example, it was four x. So. Um, just look at what your PPP was. And I mean, it's not going to be a great calculation, but just know it's going to be more, yeah. probably more than that um, if you qualify. Yes. And, and I don't think I've ever seen a case where a company's ERTC was smaller than their PPP. Right. The uh, It doesn't have a direct math relationship. It's not always this X percent of or X uh, times right. the PPP. Uh, and the size of the ERTC is um, always going to be a lot larger if you did not receive a PPP two. A PPP two is going to have a much larger effect on the total size of the credit because, uh, as right. we talked about a little bit before, the maximum in 2020 is a lot larger. That twenty-one thousand dollars of potential claim in 2021 is a lot larger than the amount in 2020. Only fifty percent of ten thousand is eligible in 2020, but up to 
70% of 10,000 per quarter is eligible in 2021. So if you received a PPP2, that would be deducting a much larger percentage of the possible qualified wages. Right. Yeah. Well, I think the, the message here is uh, it's definitely worth it. Have somebody go go get some real numbers. I mean, if, if you go with Dan, you, the, the effort involved is pretty minimal, especially if you have an accountant. You uh, upload your 941s and a little and some other payroll information, PPP information and documentation. It's not a massive effort to find out. And how how quickly you, you said earlier the Treasury Department mails out a check and they do it by quarter. They don't total them up and be real efficient and give you one check. Okay. How long has people yeah. been? People have really been seeing money. Uh, I know that. Uh, but I'll ask you to confirm that. And how long is it taking them? Do you see out there before I've done everything? Now here comes the cash. Uh, sure. So uh, uh, right now, the clients that are receiving their ER, uh, ERTC are clients that we finished processing for in June. So clients that uh, we completed uh, in June and uh, some that are still uh, there from May are now currently receiving their credit. So the time frame from submission of 941Xs to receipt of refund from the Treasury Department is approximately three to four months at this time. The IRS okay. uh, issues a set of confirmation letters that'll say, we confirm this overpayment, and then following that confirmation letter by a few weeks, they send the actual check or direct deposit. Gotcha. Very interesting. Well, I think, I mean, the one thing that listeners can go do is, one, just go and reach out to either your CPA or tax credit authority and get started on this process if you haven't already. Um, obviously, don't focus on that big number and assume you're going to get all of it because you do have to pay for the taxes on you know a roundabout way as well as for the filing from tax credit authority or somebody else. But absolutely go and reach out. It's completely worth it. Otherwise, you're leaving money on the table. And um, these funds could run out, uh, correct? The funding mechanism for the credit is from taxes that have already been paid. So there is not a threat of the money to, uh, there's not a threat of being at the end of the line and having all the other employers having received the funds and there being none left for you. It's already, it's, it's going to be paid from the taxes that you've already paid. Uh, so, uh, and the time frame for that is you have all the way through 2024 to, uh, to amend your 2020 taxes. And you have all the way through 2025 to amend your 2021 taxes. So you still have a good amount of time uh, to make the considerations and to investigate and to claim the credit. Gotcha. I say uh, just two two quick things. But one is remind people that if you do go to your CPA, you better than 50% chance will hear you're not eligible because you didn't have an income drop. Uh, I know that because I'm seeing it all the time. I love CPAs, but they're just not doing this. It is not entire. It, you still could qualify on income, but they have changed the rules and that's not necessary, right? Yeah, businesses that are eligible through income are uh, eligible if they hit that threshold and then they're automatically eligible for the quarter following that quarter. If they're eligible in quarter one, then they're automatically eligible in quarter two, uh, even if quarter two didn't have that threshold. And regardless, that's not the only way to qualify anymore. A lot of CPAs provided right. that accurate information and it was accurate at the time they provided it. 
and then they might not have stayed up to date on the credit as the credits rules have changed four times and more extensively than the four major updates. But there have been four significant statute changes to this particular credit that have impacted the uh, rules for how eligibility is determined. So a lot of times CPAs were aware of the rules as they were written to begin with, but then didn't necessarily stay up to date on all the adjustments, especially uh, as the definitions uh, for government impact and for business impact were further defined. Yeah, another another thing that I've heard a lot uh, is people say, well, this ERTC, not even income-based, but it's for the period that you're shut down. Uh, I've, I've read that and heard that. That's not entirely correct. I mean, there's partial shutdown and the impact of shutdowns, even though we were not shut down for seven quarters. Right, and that's the that's the way that we understand it. Obviously, all interpretations are made uh, to the AICPA standards, and uh, any time that there is a uh, uh, interpretation that needs to be made, we err on the side of conservatism for uh, that. But when it comes down to eligibility, the way that it seems to be defined is that uh, if you had a impact in that quarter, that would trigger eligibility, regardless of the duration of that particular impact. So even though Suspension is just one of the many ways you could have been impacted. Even if, uh, uh, for example, I was working on one in uh, uh, Arizona and uh, the particulars of that uh, county and that city were that uh, they had uh, curfews in place for uh, certain amounts of time and durations. And uh, the curfews were basically in, in effect for November and December. However, that entire quarter, quarter four, is a eligible quarter for the employer because they were impacted in that quarter. Another way to look okay. at that would be, even if the employee was only out 10 days with COVID, that was an impact to the business in the quarter and therefore the quarter would be eligible. So it's not based on the total gotcha. duration of time in which you were quote, uh, impacted by that one specific factor, it's whether or not that factor occurred at all during the quarter. And I have a last question for me anyway. Uh, there is a chance, we've already mentioned it, of being audited, right? And I, somebody has told me that for four years from the day you get it, they can come in and look to see if you were impacted. Number one, do you have any, do you know anybody who's been audited? And what was, I mean, do you know anything more about the audit other than that they could come in and so the way that we understand it is about one to three percent of anything. Everything is always pretty much subject to audit and has a likelihood of being audited. Uh, the out of the several hundred clients that we've delivered the credit for, we have not been audited. Uh, we are ready to stand by and support any client with a potential audit. One of our CPAs would represent the client and uh, support that uh, process in every way, though we have not uh, undergone an audit at this time. We have uh, plenty of uh, partners and uh, plenty of friends in the industry that have gone through the process uh, with flying colors and no uh, no issues, everything itemized to the penny with no deductions on the ERTC amount that was discovered. Gotcha, okay. very interesting. Well, Dan, this has been fantastic. Uh, if people wanna get started with Tax Credit Authority, what can they do? Is it taxcreditauthority.com? Uh, yeah, it is. It's uh, taxcreditauthority.com. We have a contact page. Uh, you could fill that out and we would get back to you right away. Uh, we also uh, are more than happy to accept uh, anyone's calls at 425-224-6344. That's our office line and we'd be one of our representatives would be more than happy to talk to you about your 
potential eligibility and uh, what next steps might look like. Amazing. Fantastic. Man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, great having you on. And I think this is going to be extremely helpful for our audience. So, uh, yeah, go see Tax Credit Authority and uh, get your ERTC money. Thanks for having. Uh, thanks for being on, Dan. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.